Welcome to a special edition of the O'Reilly Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Lorica, here with Sri Raghavan of Teradata. Welcome to the O'Reilly Podcast. Ben, thank you very much for having me. So let's start off by uh, having you describe a little bit about your background and your current role at Teradata. Terrific. So let me do it in uh, reverse uh, chronological order. I am uh, currently at Teradata. I am in the product marketing area. So um, I am responsible for Aster Analytics, which is our multi-genre advanced analytics solution. Um, I've been doing this for about four years now at uh, Teradata. So a lot of my work has to do with um, being able to explain both the business and as well as a technical audience, what makes Aster very special, uh, what are the different analytics capabilities that um, we've invested in Aster, why it's important for our customers to use Aster and for the variety of different use cases that it addresses. And uh, as a part of my job, I write a lot. I um, do a lot of content development. Um, I meet and press into a lot of customers. And uh, my general area of responsibility can be classified as being an evangelist for our big data solution. That's what I do here at Teradata. My entire background, the last 23 plus years, has been in analytics. I started off in professional services a long, long, long time ago. Uh, feels like about 900 years now, but uh, I used to be in professional services and business intelligence consulting. So worked a lot with some of the um, very um, usual suspects, BI solutions, some of the great solutions like MicroStrategy, Cognos, and subsequently, all the new ones that have come up as well. I know I know that space fairly well. I did spend a lot of time after that with companies like Bristol Myers Squibb, JP Morgan Chase, and, and Barclays Bank, um, developing their core analytics capabilities. So I've been in advanced analytics. I programmed a lot in SaaS. I've been doing SaaS programming for 14 years, though I have given up coding for the last five years or so. I haven't done any of that. Then tried my hand in product management at BMC Software for a long time, um, was responsible for their uh, application performance management suite of solutions, and then here at Teradata. So I've had a you know, a little bit of a varied career across different industries and, um, and uh, uh, with analytics as being a central theme that runs through all of that. And, and, also, that I, and also, I think uh, more, most importantly, I think uh, it sounds like you've had a lot of experience bringing technologies to enterprises. Uh, yes, I've done uh, an, a huge amount of work in that area. I've brought in a lot of um, new technological areas of work for enterprises. Um, also, equally importantly, I think on the flip side of it, I've also worked with a lot of customers to be able to initiate these technologies as part of their their daily vernacular. Um, so it's been it's been a, a a delightful experience from the standpoint, given that uh, you know a lot of customers too have have been brought over in terms of being able to adopt very important technologies for the kind of work they do. So yeah, it's been fun. Speaking of which, actually, before we uh, take a deep dive into uh, your current work, uh, it's interesting. So you probably were around when people were talking about uh, data warehouses and then MPP databases and, you know, uh, to be honest, I was one of the first, actually, O'Reilly was the first user of Greenplum, which was a kind of same generation uh, Postgres-based MPP technology as Aster data. Correct. And, and then a few years later, we started hearing about Hadoop. So you, you went through all of that yourself. 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting, right? Um, when I started my career, truth be told, um, like I said, I'm I'm like about a thousand years old. Uh, back in the day, the 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 traditional areas of, or rather, analytics was done in some of the traditional areas of infrastructure, like the Oracle database, the Teradata database, and so on. Um, progressively in my career, I've seen this, of course, being morphed into uh, NoSQL databases, and of course, uh, Hadoop being the biggest open source um, um, solutions provider uh, that that we've seen quite a lot in enterprises today. And of course, you know, in the last year or so, um, as you can imagine, we've seen a lot of Spark as well, and that are coming up in a lot of the conversations. So yeah, the the evolution has been has been fascinating, and it's also, to be truth be told, it's also been frustrating, right? Because there are things that he could do on the Hadoop side that he couldn't do on the traditional database side and vice versa. And so, you know, there's a lot of learning curve involved in some of these things. There's a lot of professional, I'm sorry, performance-based issues to deal with. Uh, there, there's a lot of issues to deal with from the standpoint of data governance and data lineage. Um, today, we all talk about things like uh, data lakes, um, being able to uh, create data lineages out of data lakes and all that. So not only have has the infrastructure evolved but it's so as a vernacular and of course all the other ecosystem kind of products that uh, go with this those have also changed quite yeah, a bit over time. Uh, i'm curious to get your take on where you think uh the enterprise is in terms of adopting some of these open source big data components particularly uh when it comes to the skill set of their teams because you sometimes hear that uh, you know there's still a shortage there's a skills gap when it comes to uh, moving from some of these uh, older technologies to some of these more uh, newer open source apache based projects correct um by the way that's a terrific question um it is also a question that's probably going to go into some controversial areas as well because everybody has good opinions and I'm sure there's no one opinion that's right or, or we wrong. We love controversy on podcasts. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, uh, you know, this this gets into the the Kim Kardashian area of uh, of, of technological conversations, if you will. Um, but the, the see, I'm of the view, and and part of me is also old fashioned. I'm of the view that the world of databases um, is not going to go away. Those mature technologies, what we call the older technologies. I think are going to be here for a while um, for a variety of reasons. One is in still in a majority uh, and, and a great majority of uh, enterprises, the database, um, the ones that Teradata is in business uh, for, the oracles of the world, the SQL servers and so on, these are used primarily as operational um, platforms. These are where customer data is recorded. These are where supplier information is recorded. This, these are where transactional data are recorded. And so therefore, these provide the day-to-day -day records that are very important for the business to make certain tactical decisions about their business on. And these are where also you can get some... And there's a lot of hardened applications. Absolutely. And to there be honest, a... uh, you hear in financial services, mainframes, right? So... Absolutely. In fact, um, I started my career uh, coding in SAS in the DB2 environment, and I still remember um, running uh, our, our our programs using JCL. Um, so, and and those, I, I was talking to one of our um, one of my colleagues a couple of days ago, and and in many of our customers, the mainframes are still the main place to go to for for data. And so, 
So a lot of these legacy systems, um, I prefer the word that you use, hardened applications. These are still around. People are making a lot of investments in, in those. And uh, I, I think those are those are those have stood the test of time. They're extremely performant. And so therefore, why break something um, or rather why fix something when it's not broken? Now, that said, I think um, there are two other trends uh, at play, I think. One is, of course, that a lot of the open source technology makes it very cheap for us to be able to experiment with new technologies, Hadoop and, and, and others, uh, Spark to a lesser extent, um, to, to experiment with those and, and to be able to run newer kinds of analytics that you weren't able to do, for, for one thing, for instance. When you're doing customer churn, um, you are looking at information that comes not only from your store level engagement. So we're in, in some cases, let's say, let's take a telecommunications organization, right? There are customers who go to the store to buy a cell phone and to, and to get services and all that. All that's recorded in the database as part of the CRM transactions. Now, there are people who engage with the same company via the web as well as a call center. Now, all that data is not structured, so which means you can't really put it in the database, the traditional database, right? So you have to put it in file formats, or rather in infrastructure, which account for those kinds of formats. So which means now you have a much richer set of data to work with to be able to understand the antecedent conditions around churn. Now, to do that, you couldn't do that traditionally in a database. You have to actually uh, work with uh, Hadoop to write the analytics to be able to get to understand what exactly the drivers of churn are. Now, that of course comes with, with it a variety of problems. It's not very easy to be able to write those analytics for a repeatable um, kind of an implementation. Um, and, and there are many other issues associated with that. But Hadoop here has a place to stay, meaning that it is now the repository of all those different kinds of data, which you couldn't traditionally put in um, a, a database. The second so, thing, so here, when go you ahead. Say, when you say Hadoop here, you mean HDFS, right? I mean HDFS and um, the, the 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 infrastructure which supports HDFS. So these right. are, I'm talking about, you know, vast cores of machines and clusters that you have to set up to be able to account for huge scales of data that get ingested into it. So now, so what is one of the things you're seeing uh, that a lot of that compute is going towards Spark? Um, I, so that's a that's again an interesting point, and and this is where I probably get. And uh, by the way, a full disclosure to the audience: I'm an advisor to Databricks, the uh, company founded by the creators of Spark. Terrific. Um, I, I think that's where um, we get into some of the meat of the controversy. I think Spark um, certainly has has um, has has broken up the 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 debate um, today where there is definitely a lot of um, legitimate attention which is paid towards it spark is um, several times faster by, by by depending on which literature you read and by whom the numbers that I've seen are any time anywhere from 10x to 100x in terms of the the speed at which um, data is being processed right so spark really has contributed quite substantially Instinctively so so here, here you're comparing it to an old data flow technology called MapReduce. That's right. Uh, you're comparing Spark to MapReduce to be able to come up with those numbers in terms of 10x to 100x, right? Now, that said, Spark also has a few limitations in terms of the fact that there's a tremendous amount of memory. It's, it's all memory-based. So to the extent that you have to manage memory allocations uh, for various jobs that you run, 
um, you have to work within Spark to be able to do that. And, and depending on whom you speak to, that sometimes can be quite a bit of a drag on, on your resources. Not to mention the fact that... Um, Although I think they've actually also uh, gotten fast on disk. Uh, yes. Um, all those all those evolutions have occurred, right? Um, in fact, they've also gotten better in terms of error handling. Um, when I when I started working with Spark before, it, it took a long time for us to be able to get to specific errors um, to to discover what the true root cause was, and that wasn't really obvious. To me oh yeah, the when, I, when I first started working on Spark, there was no documentation, so it was all right. you went to source code. Right, and now, and, and now it's gotten. It's, by the way, it's gotten better, right? But it still has a long way to go because some of those problems still remain. Spark today, the way I see it, uh, Spark is intended for the truly technically accomplished people to actually manage the Spark cluster and to be able to get meaningful analytics and insights out of it using the ML Lib. And the ML Lib itself is only machine learning. It's restricted to that area, although apparently that's also changing. But if you want to do things around text parsing or sentiment analytics, or if you want to do things like graph analytics, although there's a Spark graph engine, there aren't pre-built. Yeah, I think I think around text, the one thing I would say around text is that uh, uh, it seems like the Spark community needs to create a definitive NLP library. I Correct. think they have uh, libraries that operate above the level of NLP, so topic models and word to vec and things like that, but uh, uh, for some reason, no one has uh, done that. So, if anyone out there wants to make a name for themselves, that's the library to create. And 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 if Ben wants to start a company, that's the perfect area for you to start a company and others to invest in, uh, as well, uh, right? Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, so so uh, three on uh, Aster, right? So Aster has a, uh, a whole set of uh, in database algorithms right so so yeah is that correct so so you can uh, you can call things like uh, machine learning and statistics in database that's correct so aster has over 100 pre-built algorithms um and there are a whole bunch of advantages so obviously i'm i'm an aster evangelist so, so you well. call you call these algorithms from sql we have an sql front end so all of these are sql MapReduce. um uh, algorithms so you can actually execute them through a SQL command uh, but it's not that, that's not all right we also have on top of that we have built apps so we have uh, something called the app center uh, where we have various applications of apps that we've built as part of the app center so for instance if you want to look at let's say um, a path to purchase um, you can just click on the app because it requires a one-time setup and after which you can keep clicking the app and running it, and as and when the data gets refreshed, you're now able to see a variety of visualizations about that particular path to purchase question that you've asked. So, so Ooh. let's place this in the context of your previous example, which is uh, the rise of, of unstructured and semi-structured information. Mm -hmm. So does that mean that uh, my starting point is no longer relational when I'm using these things? Uh, not at all. Um, I think um, the, the beauty of, of um, Aster as a technology is that it incorporates, as it has to, when, when you address a lot of these business questions, relational data as well. So it's not only the fact that it's quickly able to ingest um, the unstructured and semi-structured data sources, but it works very well with vast volumes of scale of, of structured data as well at, 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 at huge scales, by the way. 
um, to be able to address these kinds of questions. So it's all data. So in your experience, uh, at what's uh, the more popular access level? Is it at the level of the algorithms or is it the level of the apps? Um, so let me answer the question first by explaining the, the, uh, the personas that Astra caters to, right? We think one of our biggest competitive advantages and one that we are very proud of is the fact that virtually anybody in the organization can use Aster. So you don't really have to be a crack data scientist to use Aster. Um, uh, although data scientists do, of course, have a have a play as far as Aster usage is concerned, in the sense you can actually um, to, uh, change the the programs and you can actually tweak it or, or write brand new um, uh, algorithms as well. But by and large, it is meant to be used by the business analysts, by the lines of business managers, by the C-level executives, and so on. And to us, one of the ways by which we have advanced the usage is through the apps. The other way by which we have advanced that widespread capability, or rather widespread usage, is by the presence of uh, the, the SQL-based uh, MapReduce function. So which means that anybody with the knowledge of SQL who doesn't really have to know Java, Perl, C++, Python, and so on, they can execute these functions. So it's a bit of both. It's both apps, but it's also the ability to be able to execute these functions in a SQL um, front end that really makes a big difference for us and our customers. So before we uh, started recording this podcast, you you mentioned that you like Spark. So how does Spark fit into this uh, Aster data ecosystem? Yeah. Um, Spark fits into this uh, in, two, uh, in, in two ways. In fact, um, we just announced the Spark Summit um, held uh, sometime in June here in uh, in, in San Francisco. Uh, we announced something called the Aster Analytics Apache Spark Connector. And basically what it does is it enables Aster users. So if you, if you have Aster in front of you, um, it allows you to be able to call the Spark cluster um, and it allows you to be able to implement the Spark algorithm, let's say there's a deep learning um, algorithm, neural networks, for instance, you can call it directly from the Astro console um, through a wrapper function that we've written for uh, the the various um, MLLib functions without having to actually program anything in Scala. <clears throat> so to answer your question, we feel Spark is very important because um, there is a lot of buzz in the industry and a lot of people are starting to incorporate Spark as part of their reference architecture, which means that for us, we, with the development of this connector, we make it so much more easy for the data scientists, the business analysts, and, the, and, and others who want to be also leveraging Spark analytics to be running those analytics through the connector. So, so for, uh, for uh, the people who use Aster, so... You're at your Aster console, you're right. calling Spark. And so then how do you take those results and, and yeah. kind of uh, infuse that with your Aster data? data it's, sources? A, yeah. it's a terrific question. Um, and that is, that is part of our message and our mission um, called multi-genre analytics. That is where we basically say, you can execute, let's say, uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you a workflow, right? Let's say, right. for instance, you want to, um, you want to understand, um, uh, again, let's go back to the example of customer churn. You ingest all of the data, structured, unstructured, semi-structured, what have you, um, in Aster, uh, and you parse it. Uh, in fact, Aster is also directly now on Hadoop, so which means you don't even have to bring any of the data into Aster. You can directly work off HDFS as a file system, 
to ingest all of that information and it can parse it. And then it can send the parsed data over to Spark. Spark can connect back to the so, same Hadoop uh, so system. When you, uh, at that level, when you're parsing it, what's the execution engine? MapReduce? Yeah. Um, the, yes, it is. We have, again, uh, MapReduce algorithms that uh, are there on Aster. Uh, we can do text parsers. We can have JSON parsers, XML parsers, what have you, depending on the data that you're pulling in. We can, we can, we can implement all those parsers. Then the parsed information can be picked up by Spark, for instance. And let's say you're running a neural network algorithm. That can then basically come up with a classification, saying that, okay, these people are likely to churn, uh, this person is not likely to churn, or there's a very mild likelihood of churn, whatever. You can have whatever numbers of classifications you want for each, each uh, observation in your data set. Now, these classifications are then sent back to Aster. Again, remember, we have the connector. So you can pull up all the classifications that Spark has spewed out, and you can use these classifications as inputs into, let's say, a probabilistic model. You can basically say, okay, I know what the customer's demography is. Um, I know their past purchase pattern. I also know what their likelihood of churn is based on the classification Spark has provided. Now, let's see if we can provide some sort of a predictor score on whether they're going to buy a product or they're going to come back or if there'll be a... Um, customers still in the next six months or what have you. My point here is that you're executing func certain functions to prepare the data on Aster. You then go into Spark, executing certain functions out of the Spark library, the MLlib, to add more intelligence to the data. You're picking up that intelligence along with all the other pieces of data that you have for that customer. You're running another model on it in Aster. Now you're providing a predictor score for each individual that says, look, this person is 80% likely to churn, that person is 40% likely to churn. And then from, uh, from, your, from the end user's perspective, they don't, mm -hmm. actually, they don't actually know that they're using multiple engines, right? So the end user, it's completely transparent to the end user. And that's, again, the beauty of it. This goes back to your earlier question. Why is it, uh, who are the kinds of people you're targeting? Uh, or rather your question was around, is your entry point through apps? And, and that's where our message comes in, that we do not want to expose all these advanced technical details to the end user, because frankly, it should not matter to them. Uh, meaning that right. your job, if you're working in the retailer, is to figure out how to be able to get more customers to buy your product. Your job is not to program. And you don't want to program. You don't have that kind of time, nor should you be enforced that kind of a, a, a discipline if you're not interested in it. So that's why we make it very easy for people to go in and be able to run these algorithms to be able to get the results and then operationalize on it. So this sounds great. So it's just been rolled out to end users or still in beta? Um, no, we've, um, Aster has been around uh, with the Teradata acquisition for five years. All these algorithms are, are part no, of no, Aster. No, I mean this whole uh, Spark scenario. Oh, I'm so sorry, I apologize. Yes, the Spark connector, um, was is is currently in beta beta we are releasing it um at the end of uh, this quarter q3 um and it should be out we've uh, we've already announced it there's been a lot of press around it and we're very proud of it and and uh we're we're, so that's um, good. we're so it sounds like uh real customers are hammering on it as we speak a lot of customers have uh, inquired about it they're excited about this yes absolutely awesome well, thank you, Sri. Uh, ben, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate the time uh, and the questions. And um, 
very happy to be talking to you and uh, my best wishes to you and uh, the rest of the audience.